0: Isaiah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the god of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we, we may walk in his paths for out of zion shall go the law and the word of the lord from jerusalem he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord.
1: Hello and welcome to episode three of season two of Anti-Foly. Uh It's going to be a different episode today. Uh, my name is Sam Cyington. joined with Ethan, Ethan Samson again. Uh, we are joined by a fellow classmate of ours who is going to be anonymous for this episode. And we're going to talk about... The war in ukraine so to kind of set the stage for this interview i'm just gonna go over briefly what's kind of occurred so we're getting close to the year anniversary of what was the in the can't say initial because there was already an invasion in crimea however when everything escalated during the escalation on on february 24th 2022 russia invaded ukraine And this occurred after President Putin's declaration of a need to, quote, demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. Uh, Obviously, a lot's happened. We've seen in the news. Um, And that's not really our focus. We're not going to be going over an in-depth time lapse, any sort of political analysis. We don't have that sort of credibility to talk about how complex this is. But really, the main fact that is most important, especially for this episode, is that according to the United Nations um, refugee organization, there's been over 8 million people that have fled the country as a result of the war. And that's just listing people that we know of that are leaving the country. Um, There's plenty that have been just leaving eastern Ukraine to western Ukraine and even more before the war started and as we speak, people people are leaving the country. So this is a massive humanitarian situation and really important so yeah so moving on um kind of focusing on the first portion of what we want to talk about uh general overview of the war thus far and our guests will kind of go into that
2: hey guys glad to finally make it on um i just wanted to we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail but Talk a little bit, so some people um, that may not follow the news much or know Which much is about me. It.
0: Just, just to be clear, <laughs> I sit on the other side of the table. I don't really follow the news or things that are going on. And if I could add, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but if I can add just two quick things: one, there is a great treatment of like the history and the tension between Ukraine and Russia on this great podcast that I really love called The Theology Pugcast. It's a little bit back, but it's really good. And another thing, I think the just this is just an experience where I was like, man, wow, the fact that we have to have some an- anonymity here that we can't say, we don't want to say your name on air, that just adds this weight to it for me. Mm-hmm. I, and um, I just wanted to get that out of the gate where it's like, Man, this is serious. So as we talk about this, like this is real. We wanted to bring someone who, you know, had, has experience and is familiar, has, you know, lived in Russia that, you know, this is real and um, it's hard for me to feel that way. So. Thank you for coming on and mm-hmm. sorry for, inter- sorry for interrupting you, but just want to get that out of the way before you just get into this, that we might appreciate it in a particular way, different than the news, different than mm-hmm. all these other things. This is like very particular. So sorry, but I'd love to hear what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah.
2: We forgot about that part a little bit. Oh, it's um, all good. It's all good. yeah, so like Sam mentioned, uh, this conflict goes back to 2014 when Ukraine, um, Ukrainian leadership decided to sign a trade agreement with Russia instead of the highly anticipated trade agreement with Europe, which a lot of people wanted uh, because they wanted more freedom from Russia, um, from Russian control, and they did not want to be a puppet state of Putin. Um, just like Belarus it is with their dictator um and as a result of that, Ukraine had uh you could say a revolution um they the lead their leader that was in place left the country and they were able to have a democratic like election um following all that but there wasn't. Much to celebrate for long because shortly after Russia, um, annexed the Crimean Peninsula and that annexation was not, um, a democratic style voting. It was a forced collection of votes, um, in Russia's favor, um, they literally had guys the army walk in and basically with guns pointed to people at people wow. say this is how you need to vote. Um there's really nothing you could do. Uh then uh Russian backed separatists um started actually um warlike um actions in and around the cities of donetsk and lugansk um forming the uh kind of a people's Re- people's republic two kind of areas donetsk people's Respu- republic and lugansk people's Respubli- republic um and that uh essentially was the start of the conflict and the war in ukraine Okay. Um, after the initial takeover and shooting, the it kind of like stopped. Like there was no progress from each side, and it became a cold front essentially, just with um, constant shooting across the the line. But it was a the border didn't move, and for seven years it was essentially. Nothing was happening until recently um, a year ago, Putin invaded Ukraine, and that was the second part of the escalation um, of this whole conflict. Um, with the invasion, putin um, was planning it seems, and thought that he was he would be able to take over Ukraine in a matter of a week. That did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) That did not happen. I know that much. Uh, We've seen examples of this in history Mm -hmm. with the Nazis in World War II and their very effective blitzkrieg Mm -hmm. um, to which Putin was aiming to replicate, essentially. And we don't necessarily know how that it would be Ukraine wouldn't exist if Russia had succeeded because it could have been they would take over put their leadership in place and effectively leave Ukraine as it is as a country but they would you know have their leadership in pr- yeah, place like that a, they want like a puppet state like a puppet state <clears throat> um but things initially did not go right and Um, now we're here a year later um, still with the war happening so obviously the blitzkrieg didn't work
0: Um, yeah and like money started pouring in right for Ukraine Mm -hmm. I mean these are are the popular level things I know you know like all the apps changed their colors to the (laughs) Ukrainian flag and I mean everybody was about supporting Ukraine and yeah. I mean here statesides you know and then mm-hmm. i know w- america sent a lot of money right other countries i mean yeah. the support has been
1: yeah just a lot the so. uk has been sending an increased amount of money though. It's a big part of uh Rishi's new like plan stand by Ru- sta- stand by ukraine did i say russia no, no. i don't know okay if i did i meant ukraine
2: you <laughs> <laughs> <He> started to <laughs> um What I wanted to add more on the invasion, the initial stages of invasion. Um, it happened as a mass bombardment. And from the very beginning, we could see the nature of this, um, behind this whole invasion and war, and it was not, uh, they were not choosing tactical targets when they started this invasion. Air, air sirens went off in Kiev and all the other cities, major cities, and rockets started hitting apartment buildings just in the middle of the city. Any, any building was a target at that point. They were not choosing military targets. They were not choosing strategically important targets as they claim. Um, right off the bat, we it could be seen that russia was not there um to like peacefully take just like take over and there was a some sort of there's already some sort of evil behind what was going on um initially and jumping rate right, like after that is the loss of civilian life that started to pile up in Ukraine. This quickly became much more than just a um, war with two warring armies. This was um, a bunch of people caught off guard in the middle of a bunch of gunfire. Um, But the Russian offensive um, slowed and... There was, there's quite a few reasons for that, partially, um, that just stem from how the country works, um, people's nature that live in Russia, um, and just the general, uh, illusion of how prepared they were for this, um. Very quickly, when it didn't, when it started to take more than a week, um, Russia started experiencing supply chain um, problems, equipment problems, and this is at the very beginning. Is this where it hit the point where it could? It was pretty clear that this is going to be a long war, and why we're still fighting this war today. Um, personally, what I would like to add is, um, on the part of the unpreparedness, I can't speak on a lot of strategic stuff, but the fact that they were using weapons during, from the era of World War II era. Well, I didn't know that. Ukraine, right? Russia was. Oh, Russia was. Wow because very quickly this uh there a lot of their initial um got destroyed right equipment got destroyed yeah. in the fighting because it was pretty fierce fighting and mm-hmm. um once they started losing a lot of equipment they needed to reequip and it they started sending soldiers with rust well this was later during um when they start started sending recruits but with rust just rusty weapons ak forty, rusty AK47s um I saw pictures with PPSHs which were a very popular Soviet weapon m- machine gun and oh. I mean that if that just that just speaks a little bit on the mm-hmm. unpreparedness of um their army so in but, yeah, that's well, kind of a general overview of where we are today and what happened early on. And then lastly, I just wanted to talk a little bit. We talked about the loss of civilian life, but uh, another part that adds maybe into the severity of what's going on in the country um, as far as what's going on in Russia and what's going on in their upper leadership and in uh um forces and the forces of evil that are behind all of this we could start to see that through how brutal the russian army has been um in treating civilians uh it it was covered in news um but i mean later on it's much much more became uncovered too but uh, small Ukrainian villages that would be under Russian control, um, citizens would be getting terrorized. They would be beaten and executed. And there's not a whole lot of detail of um, why. Of course, you know certain things happen, but it seems nothing. There's no probable reasoning why any military would need to do that other than just doing that out of hatred and um, just the willingness to kill people um, yeah it's almost like
1: just the sheer terror that they created. I remember seeing on the news I don't remember which villages in particular but they would find like as like Ukraine was regaining territory they'd find like mass graves that were full of civilian bodies, like not people that were fighting the Russians, just like regular people, like women. I think there were some children, but mostly women and men, civilians, which is just terrible. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say to I remember seeing pictures even on like the BBC and they were pretty, pretty brutal, like,
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think there's a there's something there to consider, like you were saying, is there is a there is a for- these forces of evil. We live in a we live in we still live in the same fallen world, and I think a lot of times we look at we like to think of ourselves now as have having made it, as having moved beyond some of these things. Mm-hmm. I mean after World War I which they didn't call it that then they were like this is the war to end all wars like we've you know mm-hmm. how could we ever do something like this again and I mean here it just continues it just repeats it just keeps going on it's like these wars this brutality this evil it exists in the world and I think it's I appreciated what you were saying because it's like this, man, we need to sit and just feel that for a second and understand what's going on all. O- I mean, especially there, you know, during this war, but things like this, you know, conflicts, things are going on, you know, all the time. Um. So thank, thank you for just that overview. I know that was really helpful for me just to hit those main crucial points and to kind of, see how that's gone um, just in general. And I I think um, now we kind of want to, unless you have any other parts about that, the general overview that you want to, you want to add, it'd be great to just sort of kind of get your thoughts and your feelings through this experience. Um I know we've, had conversations about this not on the podcast and things but like you have a really unique perspective because you you know i know that you have a friend that was in the russian army and that that relation and those types of things family that live in russia and that's just a really different perspective than I think it's all, and rightly so, a lot of the focus is just on Ukraine, the people in Ukraine, those types of things. But there's also these people that live in Russia, those types of things. I'd love to just hear yeah. like how you felt, have you, how you've been feeling through this year and just some maybe highlights or key points throughout the year.
2: Yeah, um, well, definitely... The biggest highlight, of course, um, the biggest, like, flash memory. Um, More low lights, I guess, would probably yeah, be the better way lights. to put that than <laughs> <It's> highlights. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. As soon as I said that, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's not really how we use that word. <laughs> no. But the biggest thing that um, sticks with me is the initial feeling of um, finding out what had actually happened on... February 22nd Last year Um I I was just Sitting in the In the evening just Um Ready to go to bed And then You guys actually walked in And were like Oh did you Did you hear And The news went on And I saw it and it was just a surreal feeling of just utter disbelief. Mm -hmm. That something on that scale could actually happen involving a world power that I happened to also grow up and live in there. Um... Yeah, that, I stayed up watching, I think, for like three hours. These surreal images of just um, bombs going off, um, the cams over the entire cities, and it it looks like something out of a chapter from Revelation or the end of the world, where it's just like this um, destruction on a mass scale. And you guys had already gotten to bed and I could not sleep like almost the entire night because, um, it was just a, I mean, I can't describe anything else, but a sinking feeling. Yeah. Uh, And that was definitely the, the, the very start of like, um, just trying to struggle to struggling to make sense, um, of why such a thing is happening why god would allow such a thing to happen yeah um and just it just shook uh reality of what how the world was it seemed like our modern world is a world with these big countries where something like this we couldn't possibly allow something like this to happen some a big bully to take over a small country Um, and just, and Ukraine's not even a small country. Ukraine is a major European country. It's, it's a first world country. Um, their economy is similar to Russia's. Yeah.
0: How did you, how did you feel just, um, like being disconnected Like having moved away from Russia,
2: being so far away, how did, how did that feel? So, yeah. So living here for quite some time has already, I've adjusted like this is, this has been my home Mm -hmm. for quite significant time here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, but there's still that, um, I still cherish that time there. It's. It was it's always like gonna be with me that piece of me, and so it was like a piece that was like half my life, was just like under siege. Everything over here was fine. I mean, I'm going to college. Um, my family's doing well. Um, I have gr- you know, great friends surrounding surrounding me and life is going well but on the inside the other half of my life is not going well at all the other half it feels is also like just like russia invaded ukraine it's been invaded by something seeking to destroy you from from the inside Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and that is what hit me probably a couple of days later and when i started something i started to carry for the next months um i had essentially
0: thank you for sharing that yeah yeah um i yeah i
1: just can't imagine that feeling
0: such uh, a it's it's yeah. such a
1: unique perspective too just because i know for a while uh, the media t- did talk about this but there was a brief period and i'm sure it's still going on where there was a lot of just anti-russian sentiment not not towards the government exclusively but to russian people as well like people were boycotting russian immigrant restaurants places like that and it's pretty common like you were saying Ethan to hear about the perspectives and how people are handling the situation that are ukrainian in the states and throughout the world but kind of the perspective of someone who is russian and how they feel about this conflict because not everyone like news news alert not everyone in russia agrees with the war in fact thousands of thousands of people disagree with the war um there were massive protests all across the country i don't know if they're still going on but i know early on in that month there were anti-war protests so yeah just thanks for sharing that
2: yeah and to add to what you were saying about um the yeah about that not everybody in russia um because of because russia has d- done this it has like tarnished the just the name russia and anybody associated with that um, anywhere else. Uh, I mean, I personally, like, associate, you know, that's that's where I grew up. That's my second country. And um, I don't even want to associate, be associated or wear anything with the Russian flag. Mm. I don't want... I don't want anything to do with it because it is associated in, I mean, it's tarnished um, for this horrible war that Putin started. And most of the country, yeah, I would say Russia's pretty split as far as there's a lot of people that are under a propaganda spell. And we could talk about maybe that later on a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the people do not or want to be, or like a lot of young people want to be free um, and do not agree with, they lived great when it was, nothing was going on, when it was peace. And they see that we've just ruined that peace.
0: Yeah. How do you, um, you you mentioned Putin, just curious to ask you about your perspectives on Putin, things that hes I mean, you've shared with me some things that he has been saying throughout, Mm. throughout the war and things, just your thoughts on him. Well,
2: yeah. So kind of what Sam said though, in the beginning, his intentions about going into Ukraine, Mm. he, and it seems like he has a, Actual belief that what he's doing is righteous. Which in these kind of situations is very dangerous because we can just see, again, not to bring up the obvious example, but World War II, Hitler thought he was what he was doing was a righteous cause. He genuinely believed that. And what he believed was evil. Yeah. Um, and evil was in control of him and with putin you could you could just see there is something evil that has taken a grip of him and it's like it's not going to let go um he is he's been ruling russia for a very long time he's practically their only president they've ever known Almost he,
1: 20 years now, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And even when he wasn't president, um, he was still technically mm-hmm. in charge. Um, he's former, I mean, just a little bit about his background if people don't know, he's former KGB, which um, is made up of ruthless people. And that kind of background and the need to, like, um, be ruthless climbing to the top um, that he and all the skills that he um, took with him, with him through that experience um, makes a very controlling and power hungry leader. And obviously with like some bad evil influences, could be very dangerous, um, uh, you know, when given that control, as he was his president. And another small thing to add before um, this invasion, I think a year or two prior, they Putin basically passed a thing that effectively renewed his power and kept would keep him in power almost essentially to the end of his life. So just to show a little bit that he is very power hungry and he's not willing to give that up ever. Um, Russia is not free. They don't have democratic elections, even though they are technically a democratic country. Those elections are never actual elections. They're always rigged. And um, yeah, my overall opinions on him is living in Russia. We always knew, um, we we always knew what kind of leader he was, and in small things with his politics, um, people have f- fled Russia long before any kind of conflict with Ukraine, even before 2014, there are many people that disagreed with Putin and more Western leaning open people um, left have left the country long before that to build a life somewhere else because they knew they could see that they would not be able to build a life um, and be free in Russia. Yeah.
0: This reminds me of um, a story that I heard somewhere, and I'll um, kind of paraphrase it up a bit. But essentially, there was a, a family that was living um, in Russia years ago, but there was this oppression from the the USSR, and the father was locked away. He was a Christian, Christian minister, and so every night. Um, especially when he was in prison, the mother would read their children, the Lord of the rings. And the reason why she said was because like, you can't talk to kids about communism and the evils of, you know, all of, you know, all of these things that we get now. But what she said, I think is so, so powerful. It was that they might not be able to recognize that evil. But when they see Mordor, they'll know, like, that's evil. They'll know. And just you sharing that, it's like, you don't know all the details. Even growing up, you know, like, this is evil. This is what evil looks like. So there's that. I just think that's so powerful. And, man, I just can't imagine growing up in those, under those circumstances, like, what that must have been like, just, you know pushing the war to the side, all those things, but, um, just that added bit. And this is something you had brought up and you've showed me, um, clips basically of Putin at some rally or something, basically quoting, I think it was a Psalm. He was quoting scripture to justify the war, to justify his actions. Like I'm righteous. Here's the scripture. I'm a Christian, all of this. And, um, which is atrocious. Yeah. I mean, just so, so it it was hard to watch. Um, I'm sure people could find it if they were looking for it, but, um, there's that kind of evil, that kind of evil that tries to use things that are good, that are from God for their own means, for power and for domination. That's just so wicked.
2: Yeah. And we could get into a little bit of that too um especially with the christianity part um and politics russian russia's religion is russian orthodox um it's the most widespread religion um unlike here where there's a lot more diversity there any kind of, for instance, Baptists, are in a very, very minority. Um, and how, for instance, in the States, people, a lot of people are nominally Christian. In Russia, they're nominally Orthodox Christian. Yeah. So they they wear crosses, um, they get baptized when they're children Got the icons in their house. Yep. Yep. Um, And that is, so that is their main religion. And I would say, I would say quite quite a bit of Russians um, are passively, basically Christians. They're, they go to the temple and light a candle when they need, when they have something going on in their life. Um, some trials or some that's for a prayer or something like that, but they don't nobody actively lives a faith essentially. They show up for holidays um oh quite a few people, quite a bit they pack the um the temples and stuff, the churches, but a lot a lot of the rest of the population is also Atheist because of growing up in the Soviet union where the idea of God in general was trying to be, they tried to wipe that out of the minds of everyone that God did not exist. Um, during the Soviet union, even these beautiful, um, Russian Orthodox Orthodox churches were bombed many of them to bits. Um, people were massacred, um, so there was, they really effectively tried to wipe that out. And so that results in a lot of people having a very atheist background. So there's a lot of Orthodox Christians, there's a lot of atheists in Russia. Um, and prob- and then a very my little minority of other religions, mm-hmm. essentially. And the role that Russian Orthodox plays in politics, um they have their head of the church kirill who is very tied to putin this the russian orthodox church is not like any free evangelical church Mm -hmm. it's i won't even bring the comparison of a catholic church where yeah they have a pope in charge and then there's the power like breaks down after you know into smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. people in charge of certain um, congregations right and then um, but in the Russian Orthodox it is again controlled from the top by one man and that has accumulates a lot of wealth and the only way he accumulates that wealth is because he is loyal to the political elite, which is Putin and all the other higher ups. Yeah, And so the church is very much tied to that politically. And you could just see um, over time that, so Kirill's support of Putin um basically essentially by that point you could he's not Christian. Yeah. 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 Russian Orthodox is not really turn it starts to turn not really Christian because it's, it's because an of arm ha- of the state. Yep, it's yeah. an arm of the state.
1: Civil the civil religion religion of the magistrate. See. Um yeah, you can kinda correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from from my reading and what I've seen in the news a bit is um essentially, prior to Putin, the Russian Orthodox Church had very little power. It was kind of pushed to the side in Russia, especially politically. And Putin has flipped that script. He's kind of, in the same way he's allowed the oligarchs, the rich businessmen, to, he granted them giant swaths of the former government subsidies and oil companies and all that make them billionaires. He's kind of done the same with the Russian Orthodox Church in kind of allowing it to survive and flourish so long as they obey Putin. And again, don't know much about this, but to me that would kind of speak in reflecting how a lot of very like pro-Russia conservative Russians and Russian leaders and politicians, they, they are kind of emboldened by the Russian Orthodox church and how they're able, how Putin's been able to utilize that as like a state church. Mm. So kind of interestingly, what we see with like the Russian Orthodox church to me is like eerily similar to what's happened in like to the Lutheran church in Germany under Hitler and even more broadly just the medieval Catholic church and how it was like used by different Kings and even on like a village level, how it was used by the, the local leaders to perpetuate political aims. So I think that's a really important part of the the war that needs to be touched on, especially from like a Christian perspective because Orthodox Christians, Russian Orthodox, they profess to be Christian. The church professes to be Christian. Putin citing Psalms. I saw earlier that he was advocating it was like a just war that they had been aggressed upon by Ukraine. And this is a sort of Christian war that they're fighting, sort of crusade, that's very Christian language. That's stuff that's from our lineage, and it's important to reclaim that and uh, to point out why no, it's not. You know, especially as Protestants. Yeah, especially as Protestants. Yeah, I think it's
0: interesting. I mean, this is like what we were saying already with taking these instruments, these things given from God, using them in evil and deceitful ways. Um, yeah, there's a really good. A a really good biography by Eric Metaxas about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and this is where um, part of it is really just laying out for especially for like Americans um, this is a very similar thing going on with Hitler and the Lutheran church like you were saying Sam Mm -hmm. like I mean just really atrocious clearly non-Christian things and Basically, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the only person saying, this is not the church. We should not recognize them as a church in any fashion. They were saying things like they were getting rid of the, quote unquote, you know, Jewishness of Jesus. They were getting rid of all of the Old Testament books. So those were too Jewish. They were writing things, scholarly works, about how Jesus was an Aryan. Dietrich Bonhoeffer this is this is just a tangent he writes this book on the psalms that you can still find to this day then they come to him and they say they they keep an eye on him you know the nazis and they basically say you aren't supposed to do this you aren't supposed to write books write things about like the psalms that's jewish and he goes oh i'm so sorry i totally forgot to do this and there's that defiance of I, I you're wrong, you know, this is evil. I'm gonna stand against this. I'm gonna do everything in my power. The man was literally a pacifist and he's like keeps contemplating this. and he is like a, a major figure and player, key player in these assassination attempts of Hitler. Like there is this sense where it's like, at what point is this such a great evil that I need to be willing myself to go? and to attempt to kill this man because of how evil this is. And I think um, there's maybe a conversation to be had. You know, um, I know we've talked about this. Like, should America get involved in what, at one level? I mean, we're already sending a lot of money over there. But um, I don't know. I know, Sam, you probably have thoughts on that, maybe. Or both of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: do you have Anything specifically, otherwise I can jump in.
2: I just wanted to say a little bit more about the whole thing with Putin and Mm -hmm. Kirill. Um, Thank you, by the way, Ethan, about going into that, about Bonhoeffer. That I mean, that shows wartime um, and under um, such a great regime um, of power and not just any kind of power, it's evil. Um, kind of power that is not afraid to go into this other country and cause a conflict that is killing thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, not just civilians, but their own Russian soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, Um, and the, the state of basically the church at that time Um, being underneath that power structure uh, and basically under control of that power structure. It essentially strips it of every kind of um, uh, legitimacy of um, being Christian, Christianity. It's Mm -hmm. not, um, they can't preach the gospel there. They can't because the gospel, the truth goes against what Putin is trying to do um and so essentially yeah, the church because it's been poisoned by this political um power um that is hungry for um to conquer and hungry to destroy yeah. uh, and wreak havoc not only in another country but its own country, um it really poisons I mean yeah. the church and essentially turns the church um, fruitless. And we could talk about, you know, a, a while about Russian Orthodox and how Christian even that is because they, you know, they're kind of just following along the same things um, as far as, like, they believe in God, they believe in Jesus, but they also believe in a lot of other things Yeah, that can help them.
0: Yeah, I, They
2: pray to icons, they pray... Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a, I think, a lot of theological conversation that could be had there. I think it's worth taking what you've said, which is really good, and considering our, where we are here in America, because I don't think it's just a thing there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, everyone's vying to use the political powers of the church, you know, to use these people that are christ followers all these things to their advantage. I mean, we see this, I mean. It's like both parties here in America, they want the um, they want the christian vote, you know, they want those white evangelical voters, you know, they're trying to you know, it's it's a political game. They're, you know, quoting scripture. They do this too. They quote scripture both sides. They do all this stuff, you know, it's like the Democrats, it's like, we need to love our neighbor. We need to do all this stuff. The conservatives, it's, we need to be pro-life. We need to defend life. But I think it's worth noting, being very careful as Christians, not to just say, I'm this party. Mm-hmm. I'm that party. Because, I mean, I we're all pro-life, you know, mm-hmm. amen. You know, we want to protect life, the most innocent life. But at what point... Is the conservative party saying, yep, keep coming along, keep coming along, like keep voting for me. And eventually this is going to be done away with. Eventually we're going to get rid of this. And then you start to think, well, at what point, you know, why would they actually get rid of this? Because the reason why I'm following them, the reason why I'm voting for them is because of this. So it's, it's worth being mindful of the ways that sin in, you know, in politics and all, you know, all these other spheres and Know, places in life but it is worth applying here and considering how yeah we 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 should be mindful of these things too you know we're not it's not something just in Russia you know and I appreciate that that this conversation isn't just uh, something going on there mm-hmm. but but that it should open our eyes to what's around us that we might not we might consider our freedoms we might consider, the graces that God has blessed us with here now to to vote, when our where our votes do matter, to practice our religion freely while when we can and while we can. and all of those considerations, I think we would do better. Like just what you've been saying has really just made me think, man, we could do so much better to be thankful to God, to consider, the the good things that we have and to really exercise them,
1: so yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of thinking about that I, before we came here. I I saw on my TikTok, which Chinese owned, so I guess I'm part of the problem. Delete that, bro. <laughs> I should delete that. Uh there's a a sermon uh, by a black pastor who was talking about how in the black church, um, he, from his perspective. They have been played by both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and how the church either it goes one way too much or the other way too much. And you know, people like Raphael Warnock come to mind, who are quote unquote reverends, but then go to Congress and advocate for tax subsidize and forcing religious institutions to subsidize abortions, um, just blatantly unChristian things and he even talked about um for the white church their issue with being too tied to maga and too tied to the republican party in the same way that they're too tied to the democratic party and yeah kind of what you're talking about ethan where it's like we can feel oh this is in russia you know but in america we have these you know similar problems they're obviously not to the same extent as in as in russia thankfully But there are like the beginnings of what could trickle into that problem with the state's influence over the churches. And I think one thing, at least from my observation globally on what is a common thread for churches that become puppets of the state is when they're characterized by an ethnicity or by some sort of culture rather than being a church first and foremost. Like you have a lot of Orthodox churches, they're all Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. Catholic churches are very much the same in our country as well. We have Italian churches. They're, they might they might not be labeled as, you know, upfront as Orthodox churches are, but if you walk into a Catholic church in a certain part of the town, you'll notice, oh, this is the German American Catholic Church. This is the not Greek, Italian Catholic Church. So you have these like racial, mm-hmm. ethnic churches, and I mean, we talk about this even for Protestants. For not, we're guilty of this as well. Sunday is one of the most segregated days of the days of the week, and the dangers of not coming into interaction with people who are different from us is very real. Or um, when our guest was talking about specifically how there really is only one like. Major church in Russia, and that's a Russian Orthodox church. There really is that lack of voices. It's kind of just one people. I mean, obviously, I'm sure every religion exists in Russia because there's people, and people figure out how to practice their religions. But you know, there's only one mainstream one, and that's that's really in, really interesting. So yeah, yeah, I think um,
0: we're we're nearing the hour mark, so. I really want to give you Mm -hmm. space if there's anything else just out of everything that we've talked about that you would like to touch on again or emphasize just um, as we asked you to come on this, as you were thinking about it, um, anything in particular that you want to say. And then um, I think I'll close us out then from there.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to... Touch maybe a little bit more on we've talked a lot about um, different, I mean, different parts of this conflict and maybe we just started a little bit touching on Russia itself and what's going on in Russia itself. Um, And being from Russia, this is like, a lot of people are like, you know, this is a war that's victimizing Ukraine and talking about Russia is being victims is um, we shouldn't, like, what are you doing? We shouldn't do that. They're not victims, they're aggressors in this war. Mm -hmm. And yes, they are, but to understand is Russia, who are the aggressors? It's the very top political elite that have control over everything. And everything being is all the rest of the people in the country. Who are being controlled? Who most most people um, are forced to do things not not by their will. A lot of people again are grew up on um, distrust of exterior of the ex- West of the other countries, and they are hooked on the propaganda. But a lot of people are not because unlike the Soviet Union, Russia is a little bit, was open to the Western world. And a lot of people have um, used that to gain knowledge of what's out there in the rest of the world and want to, and basically have brought a lot of these ideas of capitalism and um, democracy to Russia because there's, you know, in the Soviet Union there's no kind of business or yeah. anything like that. Um about the money, the uh, just like the thought and idea of making money and being rich. That was totally guess what they were advocating? <laughs> being all equally poor. <laughs> <laughs> um but um but yeah, kind of lost my train of thought there. Um just just uh Russia Um, Those people that um, were more free thinking, um, they are also victims caught in this conflict in this war that are not directly being affected by bombs flying and exploding their houses, but they are being with the latest we didn't talk about, but the thing that happened a few months ago is the mobilization of civilians to fight in this war, um, which has touched every single household in the country.
0: Hmm.
2: And people are living under, um, under control of this power and there's nothing they can do about it. And there are free thinkers, there are Christians out there that um, are being essentially prosec- persecuted um, for fighting and standing against evil um, in this world, even if they're not Christian, just standing against war. Um, And that is something I feel like as Christians, um, being where we are in a free country, um, not facing much persecution, we need to think about what we could be doing, um given God is putting us into this in this position. Um and not stay idle, essentially, in our faith and doing nothing. But be thoughtful of what's going on in, on the other side of the planet. Um, ways we could do that is simply it's through prayer first. Yeah, mm. There's almost nothing more powerful in this more powerful tool that God gave us than prayer to direct appeal to God himself um, to pour out our mind and thoughts and um, to ask for his mercy over these, over these people caught in this situation and over the bigger forces at play here, like the rulers um, of the two countries, like all the elite that are in control in Russia, um, and to pray for God's grace over all of us, and that He, that they would just, He would just bring this to a swift halt. Eventually, um, we know in the end, there's going to be victory. We know God, um, will defeat all forces of evil, um, and just extinguish that forever. But again, like you said, we live in a broken world. Um, and until that happens, all we could do is pray to build God's kingdom, um, and try to establish as much of that on earth as we can. And that is, we do that by defeating this evil that exists and praying that God would help defeat this evil um, that is going on, that has destroyed so many lives in Ukraine and that has destroyed so many families and lives in Russia where people have understood to the the severity of how bad a direction their country is going that they're fleeing by the thousands out of there. Our friends have made it to the Mexican border um, and have been crossing... And they are not the only Russians there mm. wow. there are a lot of Russians on the border. it's almost almost even more than Ukrainians fleeing um they're war torn country mm-hmm. where russia is a war torn country from the inside, not act- not like having a war zone actually inside the country but what's going on. The battlefield is behind the curtains going on inside the country. Oh. And so I just like to maybe finish a little bit. Yeah. Again, on that thought of as what as Christians, how we think about this whole situation is um, we could pray about it. We could also strive to do real um, things that w- real-world em- would have a real-world impact as far as like um, physically trying to do something, whether that be contributing some way and um, volunteering to help organizations that are um, relieving people that are affected by, dis- displaced by these events. Um, we have people we know at our church that um guy that goes to Ukraine and is on the ground there helping people I'm not saying everybody should mm-hmm. should throw no, it, just leave everything they have here and do that, but there are certain things that we could do as Christians that um outside of our comfort zone that um would be actively living out our faith, which is loving and helping people in need. Yeah. Yeah. And at the very least, being concerned about them and praying for their well-being and safety. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: I like what you said there. We don't all need to go to Ukraine, but the people that are going, they need our support in other ways also. Mm Mm-hmm monetarily, but also in prayer. Yeah, I just want to echo some things that you said. Uh, going back to the, the scripture that I read, Isaiah chapter 4, at the beginning, There, I just wanted to highlight this part of it in verse 2 where it says, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall come to pass in the later days. We're looking forward towards these things that seem so far off that there will be no more war. People will turn their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Like, there will be no more need for weapons. Praise God. And I want to read this also from 1 Corinthians 15 uh, that echoes the same sentiment says uh, verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he, being Christ, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Hmm. And that's the hope that we have that when we pray, when we ask God, that we have a hope that Christ is going to come again, that all these wars will cease, and that there will be peace, peace on all of the earth, no more sin, no more evil, and that we'll live in eternity with him. So may these worldly wars and things and sin in our lives, and as we see it played out in the world, may those be a reminder to us that Christ is going to make these things
1: right. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you guys have both nailed it completely on what we should take away from it. Um, I just want to reiterate kind of what Eric was getting at, which is that as a Christian, it necessitates an action. We can disagree on, like, what kind of action, but you got to do something about it. Donate money. Raise awareness. Support people you know who are impacted by it. Anything can can help, really. And I think that's, that's really important. And just recognizing Christ is the ultimate solution to all things in this present moment, as well as it being solved eternally in the future when he comes back and... That's something to meditate on and to include in your prayers. It's just God's sovereignty amongst all this.
2: Yeah, and just um, not to like keep running us up on time, (laughs) but just another thing um, that something you said struck me. Um, Just me and um, my mom have had, my mom grew up there, Um, and it's probably hit her a lot harder than it's hit me, um, in a lot of ways. And just, uh, having a close, me having a close relationship with my mom and seeing how, um, God has been speaking to her through things that she's had on her heart About this whole thing. She's had. um, She's struggled a lot with. The things we're talking about right now. With the. Why is God. Why is this happening. You know. Wishing that all evil. All this evil would cease. But also. Finding comfort. Time and time and again. In different. Spots around the Bible. Um, Finding comfort that eternally God all wars will cease God will defeat all evil and anything that's going on right now um this power and control that Putin thinks he has it's temporary and in the grand schemes of things it's a very short time and very temporary Um, and finding, just finding comfort in that, um, that, um, turning our focus away from the horror pictures of what we're seeing, um, of what war is like, um, and the loss of life, um, and just the, um, countless lives destroyed by this war. Um, seeing, turning our eyes away from those pictures and turning them to God is one way that we will be able to get through anything in our life ever that will ever hit us. Nothing in this world will be so evil and so great to be able to, like, rip us away from God and from this hope, um, the eternal hope that we have in God that um, we would live on forever in peace with him and there will be no more suffering, no more tears, um, and all evil will be, gone forever
1: amen
0: let me read this you were just paraphrasing this i don't know if it's on purpose read this to close this is romans 8 uh, 38 and 39 for i'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening. This has been episode three of Anti-Folly.